What's going on, OCC fam? How y'all doing this morning? Come on, can we give Jesus some praise in this place this morning? Yeah, praise him like you love him. Praise him like he saved you. Praise him like he snatched you out of the ditch. Praise him like there's nobody like him. Praise him like he's worthy. Praise him like if this was your last opportunity, you'd want him to know how much you love him and want to give him praise. Come on in this house. Lift up a shout of praise and give it to our God because he's worthy. Online, put a dancing lady emoji in the chat. Put the praise hands in the chat. Put a fire emoji in the chat. Let God know you love him this morning. Well, I'm Robert White, lead pastor of Freedom Church, but OCC fam for real. I am a a part of this church. I watch on a regular basis. I've got a life group. Uh, I'm involved, my wife and I, in a marriage life group uh, in this church. And so I am OCC fam. Listen, every pastor needs a pastor, and I got a good one. I'm telling you that. I got a good one, and we ought to give God praise for our pastor, Dr. Conway Edwards, come on, and his wife, Jada. We got some of the best leaders in the world. Listen, uh, Matt said that there were, uh, we got pe- preachers coming from all over the country. Uh, we, Christine Kane was here. She's not even from the country. That's the world. That's the world. That, that means the world has descended to see what it is that God is doing through this church. And I say this to people as I talk to them about OCC, this is not normal. God is doing something unique and and, and marvelous and wonderful in this season, and he's choosing, listen, he's choosing to do it through you. And so here's what I want you to do. I didn't do this in the other services, but 11, you're getting this bonus material right here. I want you to look around, look around at each other online, look in the chat, put put some big eyes in the chat, say, I'm looking, I'm looking. And I want you to realize and recognize that, that because you've been obedient to what the vision is, because you participated, because you you showed up, because you, you've gone to leadership meetings, because you come to Wednesday nights uh, with, with the ladies on first and third and the brothers on second and fourth, you, because you bring your students and your, your kids, God is doing something amazing. And the reason why I want you to look around is because this does not happen without you. This does not happen without you. God, God doesn't need us, but he chooses us. And thank God he's chosen to allow us to see this in our lifetime. Come on, give God praise for that in this room today. $10 million student building, debt-free? Come on, somebody. That is amazing. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to be in there doing my podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. Unless pastor says, yeah, come on. All right. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And when you get there, put your finger on verse 31. When you got it, just say, I got it. Oh, that's the Bible drill people right there. Yeah. Y'all don't know nothing about Bible drill. I grew up in the church and we used to do Bible drill. They stand us up in front of the church. They call out a scripture. I had to open up my Bible and get there real quick. That's old school. We don't do that anymore, I guess not. Uh, we do, we do. All right. When you got it, shout, I got it. Say, I would have had it, but you started talking and distracting me. I was looking and I got confused. Matthew chapter 6, when you get there, we're going to start at verse 31. And uh, I love, uh, y'all, if you know me, I like to tell stories. And before I tell any story, I got to read this scripture because my type A personality to be in Matthew 6, 
They'd be looking down at verse 31 trying to figure out where we're going. So let's just read the scripture together so we can all be on the same page and move this lesson along as a family. Matthew 6 verse 31 says this, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Somebody say all. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Somebody say all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all, somebody say all, these things will be added to you. Just make sure you got it. Let's read it one more time. Therefore, do not be anxious uh, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If I could tag this particular text over this time that I'll preach, I would call this message, I want it all. I I want it all. Before I jump into uh, this particular message, I got to make a confession uh, that I have discovered a particular paradox in my life that I feel like every parent will agree with me in as I lift this up to you. Maybe maybe this is a therapy session. Y'all can all send me the bill in the mail. But I've discovered this particular paradox in my life. A paradox are two seemingly contradictory or absurdly opposed things that actually walk in tension with one another and are true together. I've learned this paradox that every parent will agree with me in the room, or if you don't, you you keep living, you keep parenting. It's going to show up that, that as a parent, I have such great delight in raising my kids. I, and come on, somebody say amen. Yeah, right? I have delight in raising my kids. You, you know, the Bible says that children are a heritage from the Lord, that one generation shall praise his works to the next. Like, we get this great and awesome privilege to train them up in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart. I get to watch them grow. I get to see their personalities develop. I get to pour into them and disciple them. I get to share with them the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Parenthetically, parent, you should have your kid learn about Jesus from you before they get here so that what they get here is just reinforced by what you said at home. I get the beautiful privilege of discipling my kids and talking to them and loving on them, laughing with them. Uh, we, we, we tell jokes together. We, 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 we watch uh, movies together. We, 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 we hang out together. We have dates. I got two daughters, one that's uh, 12 going on 13 and one that's 11 going on 38. And, and, and I got... These, these two daughters who, who, who I love to go on dates with, and I take them on, on dates. My 38-year-old will call me out when I don't take her on a date, and then she says I owe her dates. I got a backlog of dates that I owe my daughter, and it's a delight, though. It's a delight for me to open up the door for her and take her out and show her what a date is supposed to be. It's a delight for me to do this. Now, while you're clapping, this is a paradox. And so while there is a delight in dating my daughter, there is also this difficulty in raising my children. There is this difficulty. I heard the parents say, oh yeah, there it is. That's the paradox. I was wondering where he was going. That's the paradox. There's this delight in seeing them develop and grow and their personalities budding, but that same personality is the one that bucks up against what it is that I'm trying to give them 
in life. It, it is my delight to provide for them the things that they need to, to grow and to become the young women that I believe God has called them to be, but it's the difficulty of the entitlement that they have now that I began to provide for them some of the things that I felt were, were going to be conducive to doing this. It, it is my delight to be able to show them that as young women in the faith, they have a voice and they can speak out and they can do it, but it is the difficulty of wondering how do I handle the talk back that you've given me in here. It is this great paradox of parenting. It is this paradox of parenting. This paradox of parenting also exists when I want to provide for my kids a direction that I want to put them in so that they can get what it is that I believe they were placed on this earth to receive. And the paradox comes when they don't fully trust that what I'm telling them is best. It is this paradox that, that at some point they want to go in a direction that strays away from the principles and the path that I believe is going to lead them into the fullest potential that God has for them, that they feel that they can do it on their own. And it is not that my kids don't want to live what they think is their best life. No, this paradox of delight and difficulty comes in when I'm trying to convince them that my way will provide for them a whole lot more for them now and in the future what, than what they are going after for themselves. The paradox and this difficulty comes in when they don't trust that my heart for them is to give them, watch this, more than what it is that they even want for themselves. The paradox comes is that I stand in a place that sees further than they can see. I stand in a place where the wounds of my own life, I'm trying to shield them from. I remember my mother giving me this line. I've been 30, I've been 15 and 35. You've never been 35, son. You need to listen to what I have to say. I hated that line as a 15-year-old. I thought that my mom was just trying to squelch my fun and keep me from, but now I'm looking at my children and I'm saying, I've been where you are. I need you to hear me. I'm not trying to hinder you. I'm trying to help you and push you to a place where you can have everything that God has for you. The paradox is here. I have this delight and I have this difficulty and I believe that God has the same paradox with us as his children. That God is looking at our lives and he's saying it is not that you don't want to live a best life. It's not that you don't want to have the thing I've promised you. It's not that you don't want to have or, or, or to be all that I've created you to be. The fact of the matter is you think your way is better than mine. He says, he says, as I'm raising you, as I'm thinking about you, here's the problem. You think that you know what's best. He says, I am not even a God who's been 15 and now 35. I am the omniscient one. I'm the one who has all knowledge. I'm the one who created the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars. I'm the one who placed science and matter and things into place. He says, I know all things. I am alpha and omega. I'm the beginning and the end and everything in between. He says, I know it all. You just think you know it all. God says, the paradox of parenting is I have this great plan for your life. I have this great delight in seeing you become what it is that you're supposed to be. But the difficulty is everything I've placed in you, you're using it on your own and without me. There is this paradox of parenting that exists in our Christianity and God is calling us to trust him as a parent. 
I, I saw this paradox also in, in a show that I started watching uh, a few weeks ago. I got bored, and my daughters and I went to sit down and watch a movie. We thought we were watching a movie. It ended up being a, a show on Netflix. It was about this plane that left Jamaica on one day and didn't show back up to New York for five years. I'm praying for Pastor Conway. Next time he go to Jamaica, I pray he make it back in one day. But this, this show, uh, if you know, you know, this show uh, uh, called Manifest, I don't want here to talk about the show, but these people leave Jamaica. They show back up five years later. They have not aged. They have not changed. They think that there was just turbulence on the plane, and they came right back. The world is looking, saying, y'all have been missing for five years. One of the storylines of these people who are missing for five years was a couple who was on the plane, and they had uh, infant children when they left. And, and one of the main characters runs into this man who has these infant and children at home, and he's talking to him, and he's saying, I can't wait to get home. My wife and I took this vacation, and we're excited, but we can't wait to get back to the kids. And when they get back to the kids, there was a caregiver who took care of the kids for the five years that they were gone, and the children have been raised by the caregiver. These parents thought they were only gone for a little while. They have missed five years of these children's lives, and here's what happens. When they come back, the caregiver alludes to the fact that these children don't trust the parents. And it's not because the parents don't have their DNA. It's not because the parents don't have a desire to give them everything that they have. It's not because the parents don't have a plan for their future. It's not that the parents who conceived and gave birth to these children did not have a future in mind that was best and better than what the children could ever envision for themselves. It's that these children weren't raised by the parents. They were raised by a caregiver. And while those parents were gone, those children had learned to trust in who raised them. Can I talk to somebody who's in the room? This oftentimes is the case in Christianity, but instead of God being gone for five years, we got lost in our sin. And while we were lost in our sin, we were raised by our own nasty attitude, raised by the traumas of our lives, raised by society, raised by satanic influence, raised by selfish desires, raised by the stuff that God never intended to shape our hearts and our minds. And when we were found by Jesus, reclaimed by him, here's what happens. We don't trust God who has given us his DNA through the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't trust God who has regenerated us to be a part of the family. We don't trust God who has a great plan for our lives, not because we don't want what's best for ourselves. We just haven't been raised by him. We haven't been raised by him. And God, who wants to be this full-time daddy to his children and give them everything that comes along with being a part of the family, finds himself fighting with children who don't, who don't necessarily want to submit to him because they were raised by something else. You, you know the people who, who, who've been raised by manipulation and lies. And so they know how to get what they want through telling other people lies and to manipulate and do that. And so they've been le- living with what they've been leaning on for so long they can't learn something new. They've they've been comfortable with what they've been coping with. You know the people who have learned how to hustle and grind and get it, get it, get it. And so now they've gotten promotion after promotion through their hard work. But God is saying, I need you to rest in me. And they say, not a chance, God. I know how to do that. I've been raised by that. They got their own logic and their networks, their social uh, uh, circles, their degrees that they've been raised by because they understand the formula of how that's going to work. And when God says, I need you to take a step of faith that moves out 
outside of what you know. They say, have not. No, no way, God. I know what that looks like. They've been raised by something else. But, but the reality is, at the end of the day, watch this. At the end of the day, we want God for all of his benefits. We just don't want him to discipline. And what I've discovered is, at times, I'm going to say Robert White. I'm not going to say y'all because this might offend you. I want a weekend daddy, not a full-time father. At, at times, I want a daddy who takes me to McDonald's and gets me ice cream, but when it's time to go to bed on time, I'm fighting him with my own logic. I want a God, I want a God who blesses my finances, but when he tells me to tithe, I got to... I want a weekend daddy, not a full-time father. And here's the problem with many of us. Because we have not been raised by him, when we get introduced to him, we like the things that he can provide for us, but we don't want to have him deal with the stuff that is difficult to us. The paradox of parenting that our father has to deal with as well. And here's the thing. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus gives us a heartfelt message called the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you understand that Jesus calls his disciples to this mountain. He begins to teach them from this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the major discourse that shows up in the book of Matthew. Matthew, who's writing to a Jewish audience to share with them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah King that they've been waiting on. Matthew is writing to an audience to let them know that everything that you see in Jesus is what you've been waiting on from the line of David. It's been what you've been waiting on since the moment Israel begged for a king. And here's the problem. They begged for a king. They begged for someone to set them free. And you know the end of the story. You've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's what they do. They kill the one they asked for. Can I talk to somebody who's been praying to God for something that you need in your life? And when God shows up in your life in a way that you want, that, that you've been praying for and asking for, you don't like the way he shows up and how he shows up and you start to crucify the same savior you've been praying for. Thank God for it, though. That's how I got saved. Here's the reality. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives us a picture of what it looks like to be in the family of God. He, he, he says, watch this, Isaiah tells us, rather, that Jesus, uh, when he's born, the prophetic word says, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. You got to understand theologically that a child is born because physically Jesus comes into the earth as a child. He's born into the earth, but it says a son is given because Jesus eternally existed as the son. If you understand the Trinity, it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit ex eternally existing. One God. God, three distinct persons, and the Son eternally existed. So he was given. He was always the Son. And when Jesus shows up as the second person of the Godhead, he says, let me show you what the Father is like. You, you haven't been raised by him, but I can tell you what the culture is like at our house. He said, you haven't been raised by him, but I can tell you that everything he wants for you is good. You haven't been raised by him, but I can tell you that everything that he desires for you is better than what you want for yourself. And today, I'm here to convince somebody else that what it is that you want for your life, you can't want more for you than God wants for you. You can't want more for you than God has planned for you. And if I can get to the end of this feeble Sunday school lesson and convince somebody of anything, it'll be this, that you ought to want it all, but you ought to want everything that he wants for you, not what you want for you. I, I want it all, 
And Jesus says that we can have it all, all that God has intended for us to have. Jesus says that we can have it all, everything that God has planned for your life. As he introduces them to the world of his father, he, he also gives them the 411 on what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom. By the time we get to chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus begins to let his disciples know that the culture and the values they were raised with can no longer be their default method of thinking. He says there needs to be a complete reset. If you were at, uh, at Plano or online, you know that Pastor Matt talked about a default. The other campuses might not have heard that, but he talked about resetting his phone. And, and Jesus is here giving us a reset. He says, what it is that you've been thinking before, whoever raised you, you got to get that out of your mind. He says, whatever that household was, you got to get this out of your mind. You got to get it out of your heart. You got to reshape how you think. He says, I need to get you a new thinking, a new way of processing. And it's a kingdom way of thinking. Here's what he says in verse 31 of chapter 6. Therefore, do not be anxious. If I can pause parenthetically and say this, that Jesus is getting ready to deal with some of the anxieties that we've created ourselves. I need you to understand that there is a level of anxiety that I, I dare not ignore that goes beyond the stuff that we've created. There is a level of anxiety that the church has to be aware of that, that, that we've created uh, that, that rather is a part of mental illness. There is a part of anxiety that goes beyond what it is that I'm saying. I'm not talking about that part of anxiety or even depression or something like that. I'm talking about the stuff that's preventable in us. When Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious, He's saying there is a cure for your anxiety. He's saying there is something that you can do to get rid of how you've been feeling. And I don't know who I'm talking to today who's been worrying in the middle of the night about what's coming next. I don't know who I'm preaching to today online or in the room that has been having anxiety that has been crippling your life. And if it is this type of anxiety that we're going to talk about in the text today, I got good news for you today. Jesus says you don't have to be anxious while you're saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? Notice what Jesus says. The Gentiles seek after all these things. Notice what he also says. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Jesus is addressing the materialism of his day. He's also dealing with the fact that Gentiles had a scarcity mentality. They were wondering, like, where are we going to eat? How are we going to get provision? How are we going to get clothing? What's going to happen? And he's saying, listen, you're creating anxiety around things that God wants to provide for you, basically. He said, you're creating anxiety. Can I talk to somebody? You're saying, well, I don't have that problem. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You have anxiety because your girlfriend gets to go out to a certain restaurant at her income level, and you're wondering when you're going to get there. You, you have anxiety about what they pulled up in and valeted in that you want to get to. Next. You have anxiety about what office you're going to be in next year and what title you're going to possess next year. God says, all of that stuff, that's that stuff that you need to stop worrying about. That's that stuff you're staying up at night on. He said, I need you to begin to rely on me. I need you to see what, what Jesus is saying, and I need you to really get it. Because he starts the text and says, therefore, do not be anxious. He says, this is a preventable anxiety that you're having. This is a preventable, curable anxiety that you're dealing with. He says, you're dealing with these basic things. He says, the Gentiles are seeking after that. Can I talk to you in the context of the scripture? Gentile means non-Jewish people. 
When we talk about Jewish people, these are just the chosen ones. Not chosen because they were special, but chosen because God wanted to use them to show the rest of the world what a relationship with him looks like. In these days, that's what he's done through the church. That's what he says. He says, I need the church to be the believers, the people who now understand and know what it is to have a relationship with me. He says, you can stop worrying about that basic stuff. You, you can throw your materialism aside. You can throw that anxiety aside and understand that I will take care of you. The Bible says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory, which is in Christ Jesus. This is the beauty of the text that Matthew says, or Jesus says in Matthew, non-believers, non-family members have this scarcity mentality because they have to go get it on their own. Whenever you don't go to the God who is the God of abundance, you have to have a scarcity mentality. Because eventually what comes into your hands is limited and it will run out. But the hand of God has unlimited supply and he never runs out of what it is that you need. I don't care if it's food, clothing, shelter, peace, joy, love. He's got an unlimited supply. And so I don't have to have a scarcity mentality like the Gentiles do. The best part of Matthew 6, 31 and 32, though, is not that Jesus says that we, have, we don't have to worry about these things anymore. It's that he acknowledges that God knows that we need them all. I need you to see this. The, 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 the text that I just quoted you from Paul in Philippians says, And my God shall supply all my need. And my God shall supply. Can I put it in some plain English? Y'all like shall. That's that King James. And God is sure enough gonna <laughs> supply every need. Here's what you need to understand. If there's a need, it is God's delight to fill it. If there's a need, it is God's obligation because he's spoken by his word that he will supply all of your needs. The beauty of this text is not even that I don't have to worry about it. That's a byproduct of the fact that the character of God says he's going to take care of it. I need somebody who's in the room wondering about their life to understand that God says, I know you need, watch this, all of this. He says, I, I know you need it all. He says, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to supply it all. The problem is, how do we get it all? And then parenthetically, what if I get in front of God and God says to me, what you think you need it, I don't want you to have. When we say we want it all, I, I need you to get this early in the message that I'm not saying everything you want, you get. I'm saying I want it all in accordance to what he wants for me. There are some things that when I get in front of God, he may say, you're not going to get that. that. That I get him and don't get that is the beauty of it. He told Abraham, I am your exceedingly, your exceedingly great reward. I need somebody to understand today that when you get with God, he may change your desires. The Bible says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Some of y'all been saying, here are my desires, God. Let me delight myself in you so you can have that. Let me reverse that for you. How about you delight yourself in God and he starts placing desires in you. He starts placing desires in you for a new marriage. He starts placing desires in you for a new focus. He starts placing desires in you to live out your purpose. Delight yourself in him and watch him do a work in you that gives you desires in accordance with his will. Because God knows, watch this, if you're going to work in accordance to his will, my God, I got to get to my point. If you're going to work in accordance to his will, you're going to need his resources. You got needs now. If you're in the will of God, he knows that there are needs that need to be met. The only way he supplies your need is if you're in the will. I got to get out. I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. So, so, so I'm going to give you my sermon in the center. 
because Matthew 6.33 gives us the key to really having it all. I'm going to give you a sermon and a sentence. And for those of you who came to the late service because you were already tired from staying out late, you can go to sleep right after this. Here we go. Here we go. Those who decide to seek God's presence and serve God's purpose will eventually be the ones who show off God's provision. I'm going to say it again. Y'all got to write this down. I'm going to say it slowly. Those who decide to seek God's presence and serve God's purpose will eventually be the ones who show off God's provision. Say it one more time. People online, type it up so the people who miss it, they can scroll back up and get it. Those who decide, somebody ought to say that's going to be me. Those who decide to seek God's presence and serve God's purpose will eventually be the ones who show off God's provision. So here's the key. We're going to deal with verse 33. I'm going to give you three points, and we're going to get out of here. Y'all can go get some lunch. Here it is. The first thing you need to do, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Change your pursuit. Change your pursuit. Text says, seek first the kingdom of God text deals with what the Gentiles are after. The Gentiles are after food and clothes and shelter and, 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 and drink. The Gentiles are after these things. The text says to us, seek first. Somebody say, seek first. Seek first, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to say it again. Seek first the kingdom of God. The reason why this is important, because the principle that Jesus is teaching us is you will find what you're looking for. You will find what you're looking for. Now, I got to say this before I get too deep into where I want to go, is the reason why Jesus wants to make sure that you understand that you will find what you're looking for. When you find it, the means in which you found it will become a place of worship. Let me say it again. When you find what you're looking for, the means by which you found it will become a place of worship because you think that that means got you to what you were after. You will find what you're looking for, but the path in which you take is important because you'll give it praise on the way. You'll come back and give it gratitude on the way. You'll come back and give it thanks on the way. This is why he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Because when you find what it is that you're after, and we're going to define what it is that we need to be after, you're going to give thanks and praise to the means by which you got it. And here's the problem for many of us. We've gotten to certain places and attained certain things or achieved certain goals, and we go back and worship the process. We worship the people. We worship, watch this, some of y'all worshiping your problems. Because you're addicted to pain. And when you get to the end of it, here's what happens. You see the process and you create problems so you can get pain. I know that's rough for some people who don't want to deal with that. But I deal with folk like this all the time. You're addicted to pain and you'll cause problems in other people's lives just so you can get to the, to the pain that you're addicted to. And the Lord told me to tell you, stop worshiping problems. And seek first the kingdom of God. Here's what I need you to see. You will find what you are looking for. There is something in your brain, in your central nervous system that uh, works with your brain and then works in your eyes called the reticular activating system. The reticular activating system is amazing because what it is designed to do, watch this, it is designed to separate what you're focused on from the distractions. 
it particular activating system is the reason why a mother can walk into a nursery of crying babies and hear distinctly her baby crying. The, the reticular activating system is the reason why you can go online and build the car before you ever go to the lot. And when you drive out of your house, now you're on 121 and all you see is that color car of what you were talking about buying. You know what I'm talking about. You thought you were building a custom car. Now all of a sudden, everybody got a pearl black Lexus RX 360. I thought I was building this custom. Now, now your reticular activating system has now given you the ability to live, leave out all of the distractions and you will see what you seek. You will see what you seek. Can I talk to a married couple in here? That husband, when you sought after her, she was fine and the best thing in the world. And it was because your pursuit said, I will seek her because I want her. And you saw everything that you were after. You went for her. Then you got married and you start seeking after promotions and jobs and you're taking care of the kids and stuff that's seemingly good. And your wife now feels less desired because you don't seek after her anymore. Can I talk to some wife who, when you got, when y'all were dating and y'all would go out and he'd be telling jokes because you wanted somebody funny, that's what you were seeking after. You saw him being funny and it was great. Now that y'all married, he played too much. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I just need you to be serious for one moment right now. <laughs> and he telling the same jokes he was telling then. I'm not saying he don't need to grow up. I'm just saying, you're going to see what you seek. And you needed a man who was this tall and this shade and this amount of money and made you laugh. You saw it and you saw it. Now your reticular activator system wants something different. And you don't see the beauty in what it is you once loved. You will find what you're looking for. Can I talk to somebody in the church? Not, not this church, not this church. I'm away from home. Let me talk about my church. They just don't do stuff like they used to. Why we got to have all them? Y'all owe the church. You're going to find the problem. You'll miss the miracle and find the problem. Woo, can I? Let me get off that. Let me move. Let me they got quiet on that one, Matt. They was like, you, you meddling now, preacher. I need you to get back in your work. All right, here we go. The problem is no one naturally seeks after God. No, 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 no. No one naturally seeks after God. You will find what you're looking for. And the text says, seek first the kingdom of God. Problem is, no one naturally goes after God. It's a fact. Here's the reality. You're telling me now, preacher, that's not true. When I wake up at five in the morning, I do my devotional. I pull up that Bible app. I scroll up to the verse of the day and I'm seeking after God. That's you redeemed. That's you with the Holy Spirit sealed for the day of redemption. That's you understanding that the blood of Jesus Christ has saved you. But before you knew Jesus, you weren't seeking after God. God came and found you. God came and got you. He snatched you out of where you were. You ain't go looking for God. He came looking for you. He sent his son on a mission to come and get me. I wasn't after God. I was after me. I was after what I wanted. I was selfish. I still am kind of selfish. The reality of God came looking for me. I didn't seek God. He sought after me. I was seeking power. I was seeking preservation. I was seeking prosperity. I was seeking provision. I was seeking whatever other P word you want to fill in the blank to make my alliterative point. 
You can ask yourself, what is it that you were seeking? We seek after these things because no one naturally seeks after God. But I need to give you some good news. What you are seeking isn't bad. That you are seeking it is bad. Let me correct it for the wicked people in the room. What you are seeking often isn't bad. Because some of y'all are seeking after some just bad stuff. And you just need to leave that alone. And I don't want you to say, well, you know, Pastor Robert said I can go after anything I want. It's not what I'm saying. What we are seeking oftentimes isn't bad. That we are seeking it is bad. What do you mean? When I say that there were times in my life where I was, I was, I was seeking power, and I don't mean like I was trying to be like controlling over people, but it was like, you know, I, I, want, I want to elevate my influence. I want to elevate the, the level of, of leadership. But I was seeking power, authority. And, and God said, the problem is you're going after it. You're not coming after me. The Bible says Jesus gets up out of the grave and says all authority has been given to me. And I was seeking it when I should have been seeking him. And then you got some people that say, well, you shouldn't have been seeking power anyway, pastor, because the Bible, I mean, the, the people say, because we don't quote the Bible, we quote the people. The people say that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, which I disagree with that statement because if Jesus has all power and the Bible says that the spirit of God comes and gives us power when he comes upon us, power ain't bad. It's where I get it from that's bad. Power is not the problem. It's where I'm looking to get it and my motive for getting it, that's the problem. That I want preservation is not bad. When I say preservation, I want security. I want to understand that God, 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 God will be taken care of. But I start doing it on my own. I start trying to secure my nest egg and all this. I'm not saying planning is bad. Y'all need to seek somebody to make sure your finances are in order. But when I eliminate God from the process, that's the problem. When I begin to get rid of God in the middle of it, that's my mess. And here's what I need somebody to understand. That you are seeking security is not the problem. He comes to give you eternal life. If there is nothing more secure than that, I don't know what is. He comes to give you security. Just stop seeking it outside of him. You got to change your pursuit. Watch this. It is dangerous, disrespectful, and dishonoring. To skip over the source to take a resource. Listen, it is dangerous, disrespectful, and dishonoring to skip over a source to take a resource. You understand that if I went into the bank with a mask on pre-COVID, if I go into the bank with a mask on pre-COVID and tell them I want all the money, I'm classified immediately. I'm a bank robber. I'm not coming to withdraw. I'm coming to steal. And here's the problem with many of us. We want to step over the source, which is God, to take every resource that he has. And God says, you're coming in here to steal, not to withdraw. You're coming in here to take. And God says, it is dangerous. Listen, you walk into a bank where there's an armed guard and start robbing the bank. It's dangerous. It's disrespectful to the other people who place their money in that bank. It's dishonoring to the system that's been in place. Can I tell you, it's dangerous for you to try to step over God to take resources when he is the source. There are certain things that you have held in your possession that are dangerous to you because of how you got them, not that you have them. 
I'm going to say that again. I need to make sure you understand what I just said. There are certain things that we have in our possession, and they are dangerous to us because of how we got them. It's not that God didn't want me to have the house. It's not that God didn't want me to have this job. It's not that God didn't want me in this relationship. It's that how I got it. I stepped over him, and how I got it is how I got to sustain it. And it's dangerous for me to keep sustaining things that God did not give to me in his timing and in his will. You got to change your pursuit. Listen to me. I'm going to give you something else. Every immoral action is an illegitimate or illegal way to attain something you were intended to get from God. I don't want you to hear me just saying you shouldn't have stuff. I need you to get it. Every immoral action is an illegitimate or illegal way to attain something we were intended to get from God. God has good things for you. He just has a way for you to get them. God has good things for you. He just has a way for you to get them. You can look, and I'm not going to go into this, to any immoral action that you have. Trace the source. God wanted something. So, so you got perverted what it is that God wanted to provide. You, you perverted what he wanted to provide. God wanted to give you love. You sought it in some other illegitimate way. God wanted to give you security. You sought it in some illegitimate way. God wanted to give you acceptance. You went and got it in some illegitimate way. God wanted to promote you. You went and got it in some illegitimate way. Every immoral action is an illegitimate or illegal way to attain something we were intended to get from God. God wanted to give you purpose. And you went out and found it in an illegitimate way. God is telling me to tell you today, go back to the source to get these resources. Listen, I told you the reticular activator system uh, uh, is what shows us our focus and we can get into it. So you need to change your pursuit. But what happens when your vision is broken and you can't get there by yourself? Here, here's, what, here's what I know. I, I have an astigmatism and it's hard for me to drive at night because when I drive at night, somebody say, yes, they must got an astigmatism too. Praise God. So when I'm driving at night, I, my, my, whatever happens inside of my, my eyes, I don't know the technical stuff for that. Whatever's happening inside of my eyes makes it difficult for me to see. And then it's even worse when the lights from the oncoming traffic hit my eyes. So therefore, it's hard for me to see in the dark. Watch this. And then when somebody else who's using what benefits them hits my eyes, it also makes it even more difficult for me to see. And here's what I've learned to do. I don't drive at night. I was here last night. My brother had to drive me out here because they know you can't drive at night. So I, was, I, I don't drive at night because of my astigmatism. And I slide over out of the driver's seat because in darkness I can't see. I need somebody who can see better than me to drive me to where I want to be. Let me say that again. I need someone who can see better than me to drive me to where I want to be. You've got a desire. You've got a determination. You've got a destination. But you can't get yourself there. You've got a desire, you've got a destination, you've got a determination, but you can't get yourself there. This is the reason why you've got to change your pursuit. You can say, God, where do you want me to go? And then understanding that you're a broken, fallen human being, get out of the driver's seat and let him drive. He can see in the dark. He can see what you can't see. He can get you to where you want to be. I understand that you want to get there quickly, but God says, I'm going to get you there safely. And you got to be careful looking at what everybody else has because the light from somebody else's car can mess with your astigmatism. You got to stop comparing yourself to other people's lives. You got to stop comparing yourself to other people's pursuits. You got to stop comparing yourself to what it is that they have. God says, what I have for you is for you. When I say I want it all, I want all that he has for him. You can have what he has for you. God bless you. I'm proud of you. I'm cheering you on. Praise God for what he did for you. I want what he has for him. Which leads me to point number two. Check your position. 
We'll go over to this one quickly. The text says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm going to work these two things real quick, and then we're going to get out of here. Watch. And his righteousness. The first thing it says is, it's his righteousness. It's not yours. Because many of us want to want to change our pursuit, but then we want our righteousness to sustain what it is that God gives. We want our righteousness to sustain what God provides. And God told me to tell you, Isaiah says this, that our righteousness, that's why he says his righteousness is not yours. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Which means when you pick up your filthy rag and you start wiping the blessing with it, you're just staining what it is that God has supplied. You're just staining what it is that he supplied. I won't get into what Isaiah means when he says filthy rags. I just want you to see a, a, a dirty rag that you're trying to wash a car with. You're just smearing the dirt onto the car. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. You did not save yourself. You cannot sustain yourself. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. Your, your, your works don't amount to anything. It is the work of Jesus Christ. It is his righteousness. It is his blood that has cleansed us. It is his righteousness that we stand in. You don't have a righteousness to stand on that is worth anything. You will stain what it is that he supplied. And here's what it is. It's his righteousness. Righteousness is right position with God. It is alignment with the will and the word of God. Righteousness, righteousness. It is me understanding and knowing that apart from Jesus, I cannot be in position to be in a right relationship with God. That Jesus made a way by his blood for my sin to be forgiven, for my past to be erased, for my future to be better. Here's what he says, an eternity to be settled. Here's what it is. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is not your righteousness, it is his righteousness. And so because of Jesus, you are in the right position. Here's the thing. You can't sustain it with your righteousness, but you do need to stand in your position. You you can't sustain it with your righteousness, but you do need to stand in your position. Uh, I go to lunch with some of my preacher friends sometimes, and we take hours to have lunch. My wife knows so much so that when the girls need to be picked up from school, she says, I know you're going on a preacher lunch, but I need you to be back by 345 to pick the girls up. And I say, I got you. She says, you sure? I say, yes. One of these times I had one of my friends who's a preacher and his daughter goes to the same school that my daughter goes to. And so we decided we we're going to just have our long lunch and pick the girls up at the end. While we're getting ready to pick the girls up, we're in my car and not his. I call my daughters and I say, hey, I need y'all to be ready to go to the junior high side. My girls in elementary school at the time go to the junior high side of the school and meet so-and-so. I'm not going to say her name because she gets in trouble in this story. I said, I need you to meet so-and-so on this side of the building. We're going to pick you guys up. My daughters are spoiled by their daddy. I just do stuff that I probably shouldn't. So they had cell phones, both of them. His daughter, he's, he's doing a more uh, patient work with his daughter. He said, she don't have a cell phone. I gave her a position to be in. I told her she needs to stand right there. He doesn't call her. He said, she knows where she needs to be. We'll pick her up from there. That's why I called my daughters and said, go to the position where she's supposed to be. Then we get to the, to the school line, and you know you got to go through the pickup line, parents. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You go through the pickup line, so I'm inching through the pickup line. And, and for me, I hate. I mean, I hate is a strong word. I despise, despise may not be the best preacher word. I'm perturbed by the parents who don't realize that we in the pickup line. Like, unlock your door. Why is your kid jamming at the door? We got places to go. You holding up the line. Or the parent who owned their phone and three cars done left and I'm honking at you. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be. Anyway, so we get into the pickup line and I'm not trying to be that guy so somebody else will be preaching about me. And so what happens is I pull up 
And my daughters are there. I unlock the door. We fling the door open. They hop in the back. His daughter's not there. We say, well, where's she, where's she at? I said, girls, did y'all see her? No, she wasn't here. This is where we told you to be. Uh, I tell my friends, this is where you have, yep, this is the position. I said, all right, well, we're not going to hold up the line. We're not going to be those guys. We move. So we get out. We spin around one good time. When we get back around the second time, we look as we're pulling up, and she's still not there. The line is a little shorter, so I'm not in that much of a hurry, but he's getting frustrated because he's saying this is the position she's supposed to be in. But she's no longer in position, or she's never been in position since we've gotten there. So we swirkle back around one more time. I said, man, we can't be those guys. We can't be holding up the line. So we get back through, and we walk around the last time. And, and by this time, the line is gone. Everybody else is done. And his frustration, because every other kid is being picked up, and we have not found his, his frustration has turned to fear. Because not only is she not in position, but now she's out of the way of protection. And you got to be careful when you're at a position because you don't understand that where God has positioned you is your best place of protection. This is the reason why some of you need to stop considering what other church you're about to go to. Because this is your position and your place of protection. That your covering is here. You need to understand that in your marriage right now, don't you leave your covering. That's where your protection is. God is telling me to tell you that there are some places where you're in position that you're also being protected. Let me finish my story. So we look and we realize that she's not there. Frustration is set into fear. He looks at one of the teachers and he says, hey, have you seen so-and-so? He says, I haven't seen her. She hasn't come out. He says, well, you know who, where she is. He's like, well, you you know who she is. Go in there and call her and tell her I'm here. He goes in and he goes to get her. And which is a beautiful thing because daddy knew somebody that knew her name and went and snatched her out of where she shouldn't have been. And I got a word for about three or four or five of you who were like me that when I was in my sin and I was in a place where I shouldn't have been, daddy called my name and got me out of where I shouldn't have been so that I could get in position to where it is that he wanted me to be. When she comes out, his frustration returns, but he says to her, why weren't you where I told you to be? Watch what she says. She says, well, I was looking out the window and I never saw your car. He said, it doesn't matter how I came. You should have been in position. He said, it doesn't matter that I showed up in a vehicle that you weren't recognized. You were supposed to be in position. Can I talk to about three or four of y'all who are waiting for God to show up like he did for somebody else? He says, I don't care how I came the last time. I'm looking for you to be in position. I don't care what your friends told you in the building. I'm looking for you to be in position. I don't care what you thought you heard. I need you to be in position. Go by the last word I gave you. The word of God is the placement and the positioning for the believer of God. Stand therefore, having girded your weight with truth. I'm telling somebody to stay in position. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here's the last one. And all these things will be added unto you. Change your pursuit. Check your position. Last one, choose your promise. Change your pursuit. Check your position. Choose your promise. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The text says all these things will be added. In context, oh, let me say this. When you're reading the scripture, I need you to consider context and God's character. I need you to consider the context and God's character. In the context, it immediately shows you what the scripture is talking about. You can't make up something that the scripture is never talking about. You got people claiming promises that don't exist because God wasn't talking about that. It cannot mean what it never meant. 
The scripture cannot mean what it never meant. You can't make it mean something that God never intended. That's you playing God with God. He's not your genie. Here's the context. The context is, watch, that the Gentiles are seeking after provision, material things. And God says, I know what you need. I'll get it to you. Come after me. I'll get you all these things. Context. So in context, drink, food, clothing, where you going to live. That type of basic necessities and needs, God says, I'm meeting those. Context. The character of God then says, watch this, that God not only meets these needs in the text, but I told you what Paul says, and my God shall supply all. I want it all. He says, and my God shall supply all my needs. Because the character of God from the beginning of time is that he does not just meet basic needs, he meets all. All my needs, whatever it is that I need, God shows up for me. I go back to the Garden of Eden. When God places man in the garden, he places him in a perfect paradise and gives him maximum freedom and minimum restriction. He says you can eat from every tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says I want you to be free to eat everything around you. you got options here. He says, but Adam, I don't need you eating from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice this, because the moment Adam eats from that tree, he says that he does not trust a good God to give him all good things. Because now he has the knowledge of the difference between good and evil. And he can determine in his mind what is good and what's not, including God. So that now I can make a deception in my mind that God may not want what's best for me, which is how some of you are living right now. You've been living your life in such a way that you're making decisions for yourself because you believe if you fully release it to God, he may not do what's best for you. You, you don't fully trust him. Oh, you're saying that oh, I don't know if that's true, Reverend. I believe that God is good. No, you've asked the question. If God was so good, then fill in the blank. We've made this determination that now we can choose between good and evil. What is the best decision for my career without seeking God? What is the best decision for my child without seeking God? What is the best decision for my health without seeking God? And God says, when I placed you in the garden, I gave you maximum freedom, minimum restriction. But here's what we did. Because we ate from the fruit. And I say we because many of you would have chosen the same thing Adam did. Because he eats from the fruit. He then enters into this world. He brings into the world sin and brokenness and opposition. There were options before that were all good. But once he eats from that fruit, he brings in opposition. Now evil has entered the world. Now we have to determine what is right and what is wrong. But God says, I want you to come back to me, a good God who only gives good things. I want you to come back to me, a good God who only provides for you promises that benefit your life and purpose. He says, I want you to come back to me. And here's what he says. I've given you now options for your opposition. I've given you now options for your opposition. Because we live in a fallen world, there is opposition. Because we live in a fallen world, nothing is perfect. But you have options for your opposition. You can choose joy in the middle of sorrow. How do you know, preacher? Because I'm doing it right now. I lost one of the closest people to me. He was like a brother, my first cousin. We had to have a funeral for him yesterday morning before I came here to preach. And we're going to eulogize him. I'm going to eulogize him in California as we have another service for him next Saturday. Here's the reason why I'm standing here because I'm choosing joy. I'm choosing to believe that we grieve 
but not like those who have no hope. I'm choosing the promise of God, even in the middle of a circumstance that does not look like it can be good. There are some of you who are choosing the negative. You are choosing to, to, to live in sin. You're choosing to live in doubt. You're choosing to live in negativity. The scripture gives us promises, and the Bible says every one of them are yes and amen. Every one of them are yes and amen. Notice what the text says. Romans, 30, uh, Romans 8 and 32. Write this down. Go read it when you get home. He who did not spare up his own son to save you, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Jesus came to save your soul and then provide to you every good thing that you're going to need in your life. He says you get to choose the promise. You get to choose joy over sorrow. You get to choose peace in the storm. You get to choose uh, love in the middle of strife. You get to choose... You get to choose the promises of God that are brought to you. You have options in opposition. Last story. I'm going to let you go to lunch. Here we go. Uh, one of my friends, he loves to go to these fancy car shows. And, and, and usually they're they out here where y'all are. You know, I'm, I'm Tarrant County guy. Y'all, y'all, y'all come all the way out here to see the fancy car shows. So he says, uh, he says uh, I want you to come with me to this car show. I've gone to him a couple times. This particular one, though, he tells me a story, and I didn't go. He said there was a guy who uh, shows up to the car show. And if you're familiar with the car shows, there's a lot full of cars, McLarens and Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Aston Martins, uh, uh, high-level Audis and Mercedes, like the cars that are like high, high level. This guy shows up with a very expensive Mercedes. My friend tells me it was a, it was a souped up, nice, customized Mercedes. He wants to bring it on the lot. The guy who was guarding the lot says, hey, man, you can't bring that on here. It doesn't meet the minimum value of the lot. Y'all don't understand, hoopties like mine have to stay all the way over here in another parking lot not to bring down the value of the thing. So they treated this man's Mercedes like my hooptie, and we have to foot it to the car show. We can walk around in the car show, but our nasty cars can't bring down the value of these amazing cars, right? So what happens is, uh, he tells this guy, you can't bring this car on here. He says, everybody's looking because these car fanatics are like, yo, this is a pretty expensive car. But he's rejecting it. It don't meet the minimum value. The guy doesn't trip. He doesn't argue with him. He picks up his phone, turns his back to the gate, and calls his father. He starts talking to his daddy, and he says, telling them what they're saying and all this stuff like that. Next thing you know, he hangs up the phone, gets back in his car, drives off, doesn't make a scene. But 30 minutes later, the story is told. Now, you tell him uh, about the story. I, I, I promise you, this is what he told me. He says, seven cars that meet the minimum value come back with the, with the guy, the young man, in the first car and six of his friends in the other cars. And he tells the guy, is this good enough? Some of you are thinking like me, who is his daddy? And where do they get all of this stuff? And where's all this stuff? And here's the problem. We get hung up on the abundance. We get hung up on the opulence. But we miss the fact that he had options for his opposition. That he did not seek to fight the man. He did not seek to force his car on the lot. He did not seek to make his own way. He didn't want to smear his righteousness into the lot. He called his daddy. And I need somebody in here today to understand that when you face life's opposition, when the devil tries to steal your joy, steal your peace, steal your, your health, steal whatever it is he has, you don't need to fight him on your own. You've got a daddy who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You got a daddy who you can call. And he's ready to answer whenever you call. Somebody online ought to start going crazy because you've got options for your opposition. I wish somebody would get up on their feet and begin to shout and know that I've got options for my opposition. I don't have to live in this despair. I don't have to stay in this sorrow. 
I don't have to stay in my sin. I've got options for my opposition. I can have joy in the middle of this issue. I can have health in the middle of a pandemic. I can have provision in the middle of a job loss. Why? Because I got options in the middle of the opposition. The devil has tried to make you believe that what you see is what it is that you get. But God says there's an unseen. There's something that you can call on and you can get. He says, watch Matthew 6, before we get to the seek first message. He says, when you pray, say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be on earth where there's opposition as it is in heaven where I got options. I wish I had some people who understood that the place of your opposition has to give way to the place of your options. And God is about to break through in your life today like never before. Hey, hey, listen, we're done, we're done, we're done. I got two things I need to share with you. Two things I need to share with you. It'll be quick, I promise. I promise you're gonna get your salad. You're gonna get your your chicken. You're gonna get it, you're gonna get it. You're gonna get it, I promise, I promise, I promise. Watch this, watch this, watch this. For the believer, I need you to go home today. And I need you to do those three things. I need you to check, change your pursuit. Like I need you to say like, God, you are my goal. Can we normalize that today? That God is our goal. I'm not saying that there won't be goals and tasks that come out of that. But God, my goal is to be in your presence. God, my goal is to be with you. God, I'm after you and nothing else. Change your pursuit. Check your position. Make sure you're standing on the word of God. And listen, choose your promise. Don't don't choose to think about things that the enemy has placed in your mind or society has told you that you need to settle for. Choose the promises of God. Listen, for the non-believer, today is your day to choose Jesus. Today is your day to choose Jesus. As I watch this video of 22 students and the student leader being baptized over the weekend, I realize that the reason why we're here today, if it's just one of you online or one of you in the room, you get to choose your promise. And what is the promise? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that you could have a renewed fellowship with God so that you could be placed in position. You just need to choose it today. If that's you, They're going to give you instructions on what you need to do next. And this church is a great place for you to be discipled and to grow. I would love for somebody to say, hey, Pastor Robert, we baptized somebody who chose you that day you preached. I I would love to have the privilege of of, of high-fiving somebody after this service and say, hey, I'm grateful that you're rededicating your life. I want you to choose Jesus. I want to pray. And then Pastor Matt's going to close uh, this service out. But, but I, need you, I need you to be ready. I need you to be ready to make the decision to seek God, serve his purpose, and show off his provision. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for what it is that you've done to speak through me and my feeble attempt to communicate what it is that you have